Hello there, chaps and chapesses. It's Chappie, the British butler, with you for Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Number 12, two massive hits out of the cricket ground, making a 12, the big 12. And we're actually having a bumper edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese today. We're going to do two episodes, which may or may not hit today. One of them definitely will, one tomorrow. It's the eve of Independence Day, possibly Treason Day. Don't worry, we're all very tongue-in-cheek here at uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. But it's absolutely delightful to be with you here on a very balmy day. And some of the things that we may or may not be talking about today on the podcast is come by Sheepdog Advertised online sales for a record 19,000. This is a Border Collie. Now, Border Collies are the smartest of dogs. They're very trainable. Well, other than my uh, pal George here, but uh, they're very trainable and absolutely wonderful dogs. But 19,000 must be an absolute uh, star, a stud at rounding up all those sheep. Um, The age is the thing. McKellen is to take on Hamlet at 81. That's Ian McKellen, of course. Dolphins like their fish served with a shake. In the new Anthropause era, where do you belong? It's the smell of grass that I'll miss the most. Uh, We're going to be talking about a thief who stole Viagra in a pharmacy raid in Derby in the UK. Uh, Possibly white denim flares are in for summer and up for summer. Hair transplants, the new growth industry. Let us laze in the glory of summer's early arrivals. And uh, introducing you to the wonderful island of Sifnos in the Greek islands. Now the uh, bubble travel is available. There's an air bridge from, uh, from the UK to, um, to Greece and many other places at the moment. Sadly, not US to UK. Uh, maybe that'll be coming soon, hopefully. Um, but Sifnos is absolutely delightful. Been to Rhodes, wonderful, wonderful. Cos is absolutely delightful as well. Mykonos, of course, where all that uh, bawdy, raunchy club activity goes on. But it's also rather nice as well in the quiet areas of the island. So what else will we be talking about today? We'll be introducing you, ladies and mantelpieces, to the Schichter scale. The Schitka scale. Um, so let's uh, use your imaginations and uh, see if you can uh, guess what that's about foraging wonderful time to be foraging good time to keep cool in the summertime is to go into the woods forage and why not do some outdoor cooking as well we're also going to be having tales from the campagna tales from the french countryside with my uh, dastardly rather delicious uncle um, so we're going to talk about foraging with him maybe but also um, how he got a, uh, a, a worm stuck in his leg, a parasite stuck in his leg. We'll be uh, looking at that and trying to pull out that story over the course of the next uh, millennia, couple of hours, or however long the podcast goes on. We never set a time limit on this podcast. It could absolutely go on all day. That's how much stamina the butler has. After a couple of cups of PG tips, I'm ready and raring to go. Um, now, the 4th of July obviously means a lot to our American listeners, getting rid of us nasty Brits, being on the losing side, obviously, on the British side. Um, so we'll be delving into that. 
in the second of the Bonanza podcast. But for those lucky Brits, it's uh, you can go and get a trim tomorrow. You can uh, you can uh, go and get a gin and tonic tomorrow. You can go get a pint at the pub tomorrow. This Fourth of July is a trim, trim Dependence Day, where you can go and get a haircut, and you can go and get a go to the pub, get a pint, get some fish and chips. As long as you're six foot away from each other, but a lot of shaggy beasts have. Uh, have um, you know have the chance to go and actually get a trim, um, get those uh, luscious locks cut off once and for all uh, tomorrow. A lot of restaurants opening, but um, there's a lovely article in the in the Times of London about 30 wonderful British pubs. Uh, we're actually just going to hit hit three or four that are absolutely fantastic. That when you're next in the UK for our American listeners and our UK listeners, obviously if you have a chance, go to these uh, these wonderful pubs. Um, if we have a time today, we may look at the def- definition of a drover's dog. I was thinking about my dear grandfather, and he had some wonderful phrases. He was a bit of a rascal too, actually, um, but a, a delightful man. Very, very funny. Uh, very um, un-PC humor. Probably where I get it from. But he um, he brought, you know, he always used to say to me after maybe weeks of, you know, just eating chips or curry uh, and just pints, limited uh, sustenance other than alcoholic sustenance when i was university he used to say look like a drover's dog so maybe he'll be um digging into that working from home is luxury couples want to keep um of course you know going back to church um wonderful cathedrals and churches all over the all over the uk us as well um but uh you know choirs can they sing can they sing close to each other there's a lot of spittle that goes across when one sings. I know when I sing, I soak the person next door to me. A lot of spittle, a lot of passion. Um, but uh, choirs, are they safe to come back as well? Uh, so we'll be uh, we'll be looking at that. So we have a lot going on in the podcast today. Uh, we're also going to uh, be looking at the gutter press again. Uh, we're going to have um, a game of ours. And we're going to be looking at uh, scallywag darts um, uh, over the course of the uh, podcast today as well, where we take down some of the stories from the most aggressive, intimidating press out there, the, uh, the British press, the gutter press. And we're going to be seeing which misses the board, which is a triple 20, which is the bullseye and which is Chappie's special prize. And also uh, in the podcast today, we'll be reenacting one of the seminal moments on the golf course over the last hundred years. Absolute delight. Um, I wish Peter Alice was here to uh, provide the commentary, but I'm gonna do my best. But we're gonna be reenacting uh, a wonderful moment, historic moment on the golf course that uh, Mr. Ian Poulter was involved in uh, across the last week. So that's what we're gonna be doing on the podcast today. So lots of exciting things ahead of us. So one of the rather wonderful things that uh, I heard in the week, of course I do have fantastic Mr. Fox who lives on my doorstep, probably uh, kills an abundance of rabbits during the night uh, and terrorizes uh, all sorts. I'd really like to know because I do have coyotes around uh, my neighborhood as well. I wonder what who would come out on top between a fox and a coyote. But in the week, I uh, saw this wonderful thing on Twitter. Um, Chappie on Twitter is at Keep Cheese. If you want to uh, follow me on there, I delve in. You get episodes of the podcast. I comment on things. 
a lot of Britishisms in there, so you can delve into that. Uh, the, uh, the the agony and also ecstasy of a Brit living in America is also reflected sometimes uh, on the Twitter feed and on this podcast, actually. But, ladies and gentlemen, in the week, somebody posted an absolutely delightful thing. It was a fox laughing. That was uh, that was actually two. There's two frolicking. That's two frolicking foxes laughing. And, and thank you very much for uh, uh, that posting, um, McLennan, uh, on Twitter. The foxes laughing. Absolutely uh, delightful. I, I know it's like almost like a cartoon type of laugh there. So um, go and check that out. Uh, never heard foxes laughing before. Uh, but that was wondrous. And um, so we're talking about in the last couple of weeks, my infestation of moss. So it's, you know, Chappie's moth, moth uh, infestation or Ch- Chappie's Mothman prophecies. Now, we're coming to the end of the uh, moth season, I believe. But if anybody, I know, that, you know, a lot of people during lockdown have been collecting uh, lots of sweaters, old clothes, mainly sweaters, though, I think are the good thing you've packed up put into black sacks and you don't know where to take them i would take them to goodwill obviously that's the primary place once you take old clothes but if you want i could set up my old clothes line chappie's clothes i won't you know hang up all of uh, all of my em- employers clothes when i press them neatly and starch them before i starch them they're hanging on the line here drying do things very old-fashioned here at chappie towers um but if you have any old sweaters I'm, i'll hang them on the line and they'll be gone by the morning. The moths will eat them. They'll devour them. They'll ravish them. Uh, so any old sweaters, cashmere, uh, cotton, anything, the moths will devour them. So bring them to me. I'll hang them on the line. And the moths will have a field day and get rid of them all for you. So no need to throw them away. And you're giving a moth a full belly. What do you think? So at the top of the program, we talked about the Border Collie, the sheepdog, advertised online sells for a world record of 19,000. So in the uplands farms that are dotted along the hills and valleys of the Brecon Beacons in the UK, shepherds often uh, can be heard commanding their sheepdogs to come by, as you hear in One Man and His Dog, that infamous show that I mentioned in a former podcast you can see online, what was a TV show that was based around sheep herding. Border Collies, a couple of uh, very toothy whistles, um, we talked about in a former podcast, but um, check it out. Now, as international customers clamour for the pedigree of working border collies from Britain and prices break all-time records off the breeders show their wares on YouTube and Facebook, Elan Valley Sally, a black and white border collie from Brecon, has broken the record of the most expensive sheepdog selling at an auction for 19451 The usual price for a sheepdog is about 3000 Four months ago, and two and a half year old, called Megan from Northumberland, owned by Emma Gray, set a world record of 18900 So they're very competitive at the moment. One record was just broken by another. The price for Sally, who was sold by sheepdog handler David Evans to an unknown UK buyer, the reflection how sheepdogs are in many ways like racehorses. The bloodline is everything. Sally was sired by Derwin Doog, 
uh, owned by Mr. Evans' son, Kevin, a leading trialist. The pair won the 2018 European Nursery Championships at the World Dog Sheep Trial. She's a quality young bitch with a lovely temperament. That was the discussing the Border Collie. And I, I would say the same about my, my dog, George, called male name, or George Georgina, uh, but really lovely temperament as well with George. The firm, which has uh, three livestock markets, was struggling to organize auctions during the coronavirus restrictions and decided to start selling cattle online, which worked. So they started also trying to sell sheepdogs. We've not sold a sheepdog for 40 years, says Reese Davis, chief executive. At the first sale in May, they're trying to uh, sell 10 dogs, but actually ended up selling 30. He said the high prices, probably reflected by the competitive bidding, there were bidders all over the world, successful bidders across the UK from Ireland, Canada, USA, Norway, Germany, and Switzerland. So, as I said, the Border Collie, one of the smartest dogs out there, absolutely wonderful dogs, but you do have to walk the dog about six miles a day. George is exhausted, I'm exhausted, but if you, if you haven't got a, a, an active ranch, then you do need uh, to walk the dog quite a lot. But what, how about that, 19,000? Well, to me, George is worth probably a million dollars. So Sir Ian McKellen is taking on the role of Hamlet, the Dane, again, at uh, 81. Alas, I should never play the Dane. But Ian's actually played the Dane twice now, or will be the twice. Age cannot wither him. Sir Ian McKellen has declared that there's no doubt about his versatility. The actor, who's 81, has disclosed that he is to take on Hamlet in a casting decision that usurps centuries of Shakespearean practice, which is actually casting younger leads in the role of Hamlet. It'll be the first time in 50 years that he's undertaken the challenge of playing the Danish prince in one of Shakespeare's longest plays. Traditionally, male actors, um, and there's been some female actors who played uh, Hamlet, wait a lifetime to play uh, King Lear, a role that McKellen first performed in his late 60s. Uh, but the role of Hamlet is, is normally a younger man or woman's uh, role, definitely. Mainly, uh, uh, mainly uh, Ian has uh, played, I think, uh, as I say, King, King Lear several times, and this will be the second time he's played Hamlet. But thinking about this, this story about McKellen, he's a fantastic actor, one of the most uh, identifiable voices as well, fantastic voice. Is The thing with McKellen, though, I'm thinking about taking on the role of Hamlet, um, you know, 50 years later, is, you know, first of all, how's he going to remember his lines? You know, that's that's the first thing. I can't remember my lines, and I'm in my 40s, uh, when I've trod the boards before. But McKellen must have an absolutely supreme memory. And another thing as well, I mean, again, over 40s problem getting up at the night to pee, uh, you know, twice, three times. During, a, during Hamlet, you know, a long, long play, there is an intermission, an interval. But, you know, how, how will he go through the whole duration of the play having to pee? I mean, is there a bucket hidden behind, you know, uh, Yorick's skull? Or, you know, who knows? Maybe in the Weeping Willow of Ophelia, there's a, there's, you know, there's a bucket in there or something where he can go and relieve himself. Who knows? But um, fantastic effort by McKellen to take on such a substantive role uh, again 50 years later. More slightly fishy news from the week, though. Uh, a fish of Shark Bay in Western Australia thought that their tactic to evade dolphins was foolproof. When they chased, they would skitter into the large shells of long dead sea snails and hide. 
One day, however, a clever dolphin learned to carry the shell to the surface and shake it vigorously until the water drained out and the fish dropped out. Worse to come afterwards, the dolphin passed on the technique to its friends. So it was like, you know, herd mentality, I guess, where the, uh, the shaking technique was, uh, was passed on from dolphin to dolphin. So I guess dolphins do like their sushi shaken, not stirred. So, sadly, there's no Wimbledon this year. The smell of the grass, players adorned in all white uh, clothing. Um, you know, the ball boys, strawberries and cream, pims popping, champagne popping. Absolutely, uh, absolutely delightful. Um, but there was a lovely article in the week about John Barrett, who, uh, old BBC commentator, um, and uh, and uh, voice across the airways, basically. Barrett has been at Wimbledon every year since 1947 and missed only one day of the championships since 1950. But the 89-year-old former player, commentator, journalist, how will he feel when he wakes up on Monday and doesn't have to take on the 150-meter walk from his home to the All England Club? It'll be very strange, Barrett says with a sigh. I think it will be like for all of us, who have a lot to do with the championships over the years, it still seems inconceivable that it won't happen. Uh, Barrett is actually known as Mr. Wimbledon. He's not quite sure what he'll do with himself over the, uh, over the next fortnight. I will never forget the smell of the grass going through the main gates um, since he's been at the All England Club since the age of 16. So, very, very, uh, very, very sad. I mean, Wimbledon is a huge part of uh, British life, culture, culture around the world. And over here in the US, they do breakfast at Wimbledon. But I mean, it's an absolute fine tradition. I've uh, attended the championships twice in the early 2000s. I saw Roger Federer, uh, Venus Williams, Lindsay Davenport, Tim Henman play. It was absolutely fantastic uh, 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 day, or two days that I spent over the course of two years. But it really is a, a, a cultural experience to savor. Um, and some of the tremendous matches over the years, I mean, watching the absolutely fabulous, rascalous John McEnroe uh, play uh, during the 1980s against Borg, against Lendl, Becker diving across the court, volleying, as it used to be served volley game, getting grass stains all over his shorts. This is obviously before he ended up in the uh, locker room with uh, with uh, one of the uh, one of the waitresses. Um, but absolutely fantastic. Agassi with his long flowing locks, beating Ivanisevic, Sampras, Federer, Nadal. Absolutely amazing uh, times. So we're not going to be having that this year, but. Uh, what I did do early in the week, um, I had a little bit of cricket back on as well. There was some uh, ECB uh, preparation uh, cricket match before uh, the test series against the West Indies. So I had that plugged into the TV early in the week. And I was thinking about Wimbledon as well. And I got some rather lovely um, strawberry bomber on jam and spread it on some buttered toast. Uh, you know, absolute, uh, absolute delight. Really do uh, enjoy uh, buttered toast. And uh, and I love uh, I love strawberry jam. Fresh strawberry jam is is, is one of the most wonderful things uh, around. But I think I did that in in, in in memoriam of no Wimbledon this year. 
but also um, you know I think what we what we need to do now we need to do this weekend in memory of, uh, of, of Wimbledon is I think we need a, a you know a, probably a, a 12 gun salute of champagne bottles there's one there's two three There's eight now. And one more for luck. Oh, love the bubbles. Absolutely. Cheers to Wimbledon. We love you. We'll see you again next year, definitely. Yes, ladies and mantelpieces, we have some arrows for you from the uh, from the gutter press. We have scallywag darts again, where we delve into some of the uh, wondrous and slightly dirty and dubious uh, articles from the British gutter press over the week, and we uh, tried to decide if they're uh, you know missing the board, double twenty, bullseye, or Chappie's special prize. So first of all, we have um, a, a rather lovely rather lovely uh, article um, from um, from uh, one of the uh, rather dubious uh, newspapers in the UK it's actually titled Bonehenge and uh, for thousands of years before the birth of Christ very strange people were busily uh, working wonders on Salisbury Plain in the south of England building Stonehenge but in the week somebody discovered in one of the fields next to Stonehenge an image uh, could be crop circles, could be something else that rather resembled the old crown jewels, the old ding-along dong um, in a field. So that was uh, Bonehenge. I think that story is probably uh, going to be missing the mark and missing uh, the board, I would say, uh, this week. Um, and then uh, I think we've got an absolute triple 20 here. My, uh, We've got my hero uh, sausage dog bit off a dirty Flash's willy. So that's going to be our triple 20. My hero sausage dog bit off a dirty Flash's willy. And then we uh, then we also have uh, in the uh, in the course of the week, um, I think we have another absolutely uh, fantastic article that we've uh, we've uh, we've seen in the week here. It was actually an image more than anything else. It was a uh, a Trump supporter on an aeroplane. He had his mask, he had his Make America Great Again hat, but his mask wasn't covering his mouth, it was actually uh, covering his uh, eyes and he was sleeping uh, during the course of the, uh, during the, course of the uh, flight with the mask over his, uh, over his eyes rather than his mouth. Okay, welcome to Chappie's special prize in our gutter darts, our scallywag darts of the week here. So here we go. This is what we got. Let's have a drum roll. And again. And here we go. Chappie special prize. And the winner is in the 
Derby Telegraph or the Derby Telegraph, which had Derby thief stole Viagra in pharmacy raid. And the police added they were looking for a hardened criminal. So we've had a very much a post-COVID um, realization. You know, I've gained the COVID ten, the ten pounds after COVID here, and the realization dawned that there was nobody around to see me, or very few people around to see me, uh, who who don't really care what I look like. So you know, eating lots, lots of curry, lots of gelato. We're going gelato free this July, of course, though. Swagging around in my Y fronts, belly in the wind. Real sexy beast, definitely, there's no doubt about it. There's no dignity once you get into middle age, over 40, having a flat tummy. I've decided this. That a man of my age should be a little bit more rotund, should have the spare tyre, a little bit like Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick. That's my post-COVID diet, ladies and gentlemen. So after a momentous week, I think we have to come up with a new scale. Now we have the Richter scale, we obviously have Fahrenheit and Celsius. But I think, ladies and gentlemen, the time has come to have the Schitke scale. The Schitke scale. So I think this is a place where one can measure the power and propensity of farts. One could create a Trump typhoon or a pool tsunami, which creates a Force 10 gale, water coming up. You know, you know what affects... What affects the tummy more? Is it a vindaloo? Is it a cream sauce? What is it? Is it gluten or not going gluten-free? What does it? I mean, it is really a butler's job to bring his trusty steed, mint tea, gaviscon, anything, tums, anything to help the digestif, you know, the stomach, settle the tummy down, everybody. So there we go. They were going to start measuring the Schichter scale. Perfect for the 4th of July weekend. A lot of hot dog, a lot of beans. So I would say to all of you out there, Monsieur, Madame, measure everything on the Schichter scale this weekend. So there's a lovely uh, piece in the week about uh, cooking outside, foraging, Ray Mears, Robert Crampton. Um, and they, they head to the uh, woods, they head to the forest. Fellow adventurers, uh, getting lessons in outdoor cooking. Beer and bread and egg on a stick has never tasted so good. But the first thing that they, uh, they, they, they went looking for is they parked their Land Rover, 18-year-old pristine Land Rover. They unpacked their gear. Ray hangs up a bag of chlorinated water from a branch for hand sanitizing. Slecks an axe with a collapsible saw and they go in search of a willow to cook on. Willow gives a sweetness to the meat. And, uh, and exclaimed, you know, what are they going to be eating? The fillet of salmon, or fillet of salmon. Obviously no salmon around the, uh, the woods where they were looking, but they bought it at Waitrose. But apparently the, uh, the salmon is much sweeter when it's, cooked on a piece of, uh, when it's cooked on a piece of willow. So they find a, a suitable piece of willow, assembles a saw, and makes short work of lopping off a thick section about two foot long for the plank to cook the fish. They shape up the timber with the axe. Ray uh, talks them through the components of the undergrowth around us, reciting the Latin name for each plant. That would avens, it can treat malaria. There's red companion, it's toxic, but the root can make soap. 
Pendulous sedge, you can make biscuits from seeds. Honeysuckle has nectar you can drink. You can make toothpaste from alder. Birch does everything. everything. You can make tea, rope containers, and medicine from it. And then they found there was something in the stream. What's that in the stream? Hemlock water dropwort, highly poisonous. What happened if you ate it? You'd die a very unpleasant death in about three hours. So Ray is putting together a book, and the book came um, when Christian asked his dad to compile his favorite recipes. I've always loved cooking, says Ray. It's been very important when you're living outdoors. You can have a rotten day, and then have a good meal and feel all right about everything. Uh, they had had nothing but a rotten day, far from it. And when the sunlit filtering lazily through the oak leaves, it's been a pretty damn peachy day. Right on cue, the head chef pronounces the salmon's ready to eat, fresh off the willow plank, delicious. And then they hand a little bit of fisherman's salt from a leather pouch, homemade to his own specifications, some dried lime, lemon and orange zest. And then you've got the beautiful fresh air and the wood breathing the air in. Absolutely delightful cooking the salmon in the fresh air. No chips to have with it and no tartar sauce, I'm sure. One of the most interesting parts of this article, though, was this um, no-need bread that they cooked outdoors here from this, from this uh, recipe book here. So they took three big handfuls of self-raising flour, some baking powder and salt, a decent splash of beer, and it explains it's the big handful. So it equates to big hands, a big handful of flour, and then the field equates to a couple of tablespoons in the kitchen. Similarly, a teaspoon you accommodate, you know, in the well of a cupped hand. So teaspoons like the cupped hand, you know, the, the, the hand less cupped is, the, uh, for the, is for the tablespoon here. Um, the dough goes into a cast iron pot into the embers of the fire. Ray piles on more embers to brown it off. Baking is all about coping with what you've got. And flour varies from country to country. So, I mean, the, 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 absolutely fantastic. There's the beer bread. It's a classic recipe from the Australian outback. Good eye, mate. Throw another snag on the barbie. Um, and, and, and these loaves are absolutely delicious. Very quick, easy to bake. Tastes wonderful with some butter, golden syrup, maybe some billy tea over it as well. And you get the plain flour, extra for dusting, two teaspoons of baking powder, a tablespoon of salt, and about 175 milliliters of beer. And you've got campfire in the woods, Wonderful bread, no need bread. Tales from La Cabana, the French countryside, with my wondrous, slightly naughty, devilish uncle, Michel, Michel, Montmichel. Um, wonderful chap. Lots of stories, 90% of them untrue. Uh, pretty much like his stories on the podcast I think but he's telling me in the week try to Skype with him or uh, FaceTime WhatsApp whatever in the week and he told me that he had gone foraging in the French countryside uh, I think he's fairly near um, Poitiers um, right in the depths of the French countryside uh, in, in more southern France I would say and he he uh, was out in the uh, in the week foraging for wild mushrooms to make an absolutely delicious mushroom risotto one of my favorites absolutely fantastic and um, he was uh, tra- traipsing through the wood 
some of the leaves, some of the foliage, had to go through a river. And then he got a absolutely like a, a you know sharp pain um, in his leg, sharp pain in his leg. Something had bitten him or entered the uh, tissues of his leg, and he had to go to the hospital. He had to leave. You know, he probably got the mushrooms ready for the risotto, ready for when he got back. But the doctor looked at his leg and said, "You've got a parasite in your leg," and they had to prise and pull out this long worm out of his leg absolutely incredible pain they uh, bandaged him up and uh, asked if he wanted to take the worm home to put on a line to do some fishing later he uh, he did decline that um, and he didn't keep the worm but he did actually go home and make the risotto so poor uncle mike worm in the leg in the french countryside has to be a little bit more careful but an absolute creamy delicious risotto he told me so we're lucky enough to have um, been out of lockdown for a few weeks in Colorado. I know some of the uh, bars are closing down again, and a lot of bars are closing down the, around the country as well, with uh, cases very sadly on the increase again. Uh, but the 4th of July means obviously Independence Day, getting rid of us uh, losers, the British, um, years ago. Um, lovely. I really love living in the country, so I don't want to be uh, have my head put on a gibbet anywhere or... Uh, my uh, red coat burnt or anything along those lines um but uh so fourth of july for the americans but fourth of july in the uk this year means the end of lockdown lots of pubs opening again hairdressers people can get their locks shed and cut off and maybe you know some more less discerning hairdressers can shave those very hairy backs that have developed over the years that are probably plaited at the back braided at the back you know back hair going down to their bottom um but there was a rather lovely article about 30 great pubs with gardens so everybody's social distancing going back to the pubs less people in there uh, a lot of people going to pubs today or tomorrow uh, in the uk but there's a couple of pubs that i think everybody um if it, next time uh, our american friends french friends german friends um or, or anybody living in the uk at the moment is around these areas absolutely fantastic and what made me think of this is you know in terms of uh, being a proponent and uh, uh, publicizing and uh, promoting uh, these wonderful pubs is that there was an article in the pub uh, in the in the times and i saw a um, picture of the anchor pub in the jurassic coast in dorset absolutely fantastic wonderful views across that rugged ragged uh, uh, coastline, rocky coastline, Jurassic Coast uh, in Dorset in the south coast in the UK, and rather, rather wonderful. So, if you are going to the Anchor, and this made me very, very jealous here, um, thinking about uh, uh, food and pub food, you can get a Smuggler's Burger, eight ounce steak mince patty smoked with bacon, Gruyere cheese, red onion marmalade, and barbecue mayo. Absolutely delicious. Or you can go for the uh, fish and chips. Unbelievable. Crushed peas on there. Mushy peas on the side. Uh, you could do the chicken chorizo prawn, prawn paella. There we go. There's one for you. Get your teeth around a prawn paella. Not a prawn paella. With garlic flatbread. And then I think absolutely uh, momentous. The anchor fish stew. Mix of fish and shellfish in a rich tomato broth. Top with real and baker's bread just to mop up that broth 
Love that in a fish stew of bouillabaisse. Getting the bread and mopping up the broth is one of the absolute delights out there, if ever you can have the chance to do that. So we've got the Anchor on the Dorset Coast. The uh, Bat and Ball Pub, if it's still open, and I haven't been there for many, many years, in Hambledon, where it has the oldest cricket ground uh, in the world. One of the oldest in the world. I think the oldest in the world. Um, there's a painting of uh, cricket being played in the 1700s there. That's another wonderful place to go and get a pint. Uh, maybe uh, maybe an apple cider, um, one of the two, a little bit of Strongbow, maybe, absolutely fantastic. Um, that's another place, so picturesque. I uh, believe that's opening again tomorrow. Um, again, any, uh, any uh, of our uh, uh, friends in the US here, across Europe, across the world, try out the Anchor Pub, try out the Bat and Ball in Hambledon. And then uh, one of my locals, and as I look across the way here onto my uh, pristine white wall, I see a calendar that has some watercolours with a beautiful picture of Burnham Overy Stafe. And there's, a, there's the host at Burnham Overy Stafe in Norfolk has absolutely fantastic seafood. I haven't been there for many, many years, but a wonderful pub right on the coastline, right? It's sort of marshy, right on the North Norfolk coast. Another absolutely fabulous pub. So we have a couple of things to end with, uh, but always love poems, uh, poetry um, on uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Uh, Philip Larkin's going out of fashion a little bit, but uh, wonderful poet uh, from the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and this is his Wits and Weddings. Makes me think of a, a bank holiday, basically. That Whitson, I was late getting away, not till about 1.20 on the sunlit Saturday, did my three-quarters empty train pull out, all windows down, all cushions hot, all sense of being in a hurry gone. We ran behind the backs of houses, crossed a street of blinding windscreens, smelt the fish dock thence. The river-level drifting bread began, where sky and Lincolnshire and water meet. All afternoon through the tall heat that slept, for miles inland a slow, and stopping curves southwards we kept. Wide farms went by, short-shadowed cattle, and canals with floatings of industrial froth. A hothouse flashed uniquely, hedges dipped in rows, and now, then, and then, a smell of grass displaced the reek of buttoned carriage cloth until the next town knew a nondescript approach with acres of dismantled cars. At first I didn't notice what a noise the weddings made. Each station that we stopped at, sun destroys. The interest of what's happening in the shade and down the long cool platform whoops and skirls. I took for porters larking with the males and went on reading. Once we started through, we passed them, grinning and pomaded, girls in parodies of fashion, heels and veils, all posed irresolutely watching us go. As if out at the end of the event, waving goodbye to me that survived it, struck I learnt more promptly out next time, more curiously, and saw it all again in different terms. The fathers with broad belts under their suits and seamy foreheads, mothers loud and fat, and uncle shouting smut, and then the perms, the nylon gloves and jewellery substitutes, the lemon mows and olive okras that marked off the girls and really from the rest. Yes, from cafes and banquet halls up yards and bunting dressed, coach party annexes, the wedding days were coming to an end. 
All down the line, fresh couples climbed aboard. The rest stood round, the last confetti and advice were thrown. And as we moved, each face seemed to define that what, it, that what we saw departing. Children frowned at something dull fathers had never known. Success so huge and wholly farcical, the women shared the secret like a happy funeral. While girls gripping their handbags tighter stared at religious wounding free at last and loaded with the sum of all they saw we hurried towards london shuffling gouts of steam now fields were building plots and poplars cast long shadows over major roads for some 50 minutes that in time would seem just long enough to settle hats and say i nearly died a dozen marriages got underway they watched the landscape sitting side by side an Odeon went past, a cooling tower, and someone running up a bowl and none. Thought of others that would never meet, and how their lives would contain this hour. I thought of London spread out in the sun, its postal districts packed like squares of wheat. They were aimed as we raced across bright knots of rail. Past sending pullmans, walls of, walls of moss came close, and it was nearly done. This frail travelling coincidence of what it held stood ready to be loosed with all power that being charged can give we slowed again and as the titan brakes took hold there swelled a sense of failing like an arrow shower sent out of sight somewhere becoming rain thanks for joining the podcast keep coming cauliflower cheese uh, on this wonderful third of july and to end, um, we just want to reenact a, a momentous occasion in the week that happened on the links and uh, trying to in the sort of style of Peter Alice, but probably failing miserably uh, to uh, to just, uh, as I said, reenact this uh, seminal moment uh, on the links. Welcome along to the beautiful links here It's a wondrous day. Had a lovely bacon butty at Mrs. Miggins this morning and i'm fresh as a daisy ready to go and uh he uh, takes the tea he's got a three wood ready to go here he puts the tea down tea peg down into the ground here places a ball on top and a uh, beautiful swing slightly upright and he strikes the ball and oh it's soaring down the fairway straight down the middle absolutely lovely All right, so here we go. This is reenacting the polter. And maybe once more, shall we do it once more for luck here? And one final time. All I'll say, it's lucky he wasn't wearing white trousers. Thank you very much for joining. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. See you again next time.